Hello, fiction fans, and welcome back to Not Just Any Other Story. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to be continuing with the shopping cart people from chapters 23 to 26. So really excited about reading these ones with you, to you. Um, today, I would like to welcome Pam and Jean, good friends of mine who are very, very good at critiquing. So <laughs> welcome, Pam and Jean. Thank you very much for having us today. We're looking forward to hearing the next few chapters. Yeah, definitely excited to carry on the story. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with 23, and I think I'll start reading, and then I'm going to ask my friends to read the other chapters. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 23, Restless. I lay awake for a long time that night. Tilly lay next to me, a little bit of a wheeze in her chest as she slept. I had an instant flashback of my childhood when we used to share a bedroom. Tilly had often kept me awake with her seasonal allergies. Matt had once tape-recorded her when she was snoring and wheezing in her sleep and played it back in front of one of her boyfriends. Hmm. Tilly chased him around the house until he felt over, fell over something and broke his finger. She definitely knew how to fight back. I almost wish she had been awake so I could share this memory with her and laugh out loud about it. When she stirred and turned over to face me, I couldn't help but admire her lovely face. Her long, dark lashes and the soft brown curls that fell across her cheek made her look quite captivating. At that moment, I wished for Stefan, that he could see her this way, in this tranquil, intimate setting. And then I realized that perhaps this was what he always saw when he looked at her. Her breathing, now very steady and rhythmic, should have lulled me to sleep, but my thoughts were racing. Our dinner at Giovanni's replayed itself in my mind like a soap opera, and in both the real-time version and the replay, I felt acutely aware of the subtle undertones in the little love triangle. The affectionate gestures Tilly received from Giovanni did not go unnoticed by the ever-observant Stefan. He appeared as if he were perfectly comfortable with it all, leaning back in his chair, one leg crossed over the other, feigning a self-effacing smile. But his eyes, they were a dead giveaway. They were definitely his weak spot, and they betrayed him every time, so that beneath the surface of friendly dialogue, there was hidden a hidden inner battle going on that, perhaps, only an outsider like me would recognize. I couldn't tame my thoughts as they jumped from scene to scene, from one face to the next, during that restless hour in small-town Italy, I was overcome with the need to make everything right in Tilly's life. I had to set her straight, to make her realize that there was something much deeper waiting for her in a relationship with Stefan than in what she had going on with Giovanni. I decided I would talk to her about Stefan the next day. After all, isn't that what sisters did for each other? Weren't they supposed to tell each other when they were being total idiots? I wondered just then how Harry was doing and if he and Matt were still home at my place or if they had moved into mom's and dad's. My instincts told me that they probably had, considering the food would be running low by now. I began to miss Harry and felt like talking to him, but it was too late to call. Then I thought about Les. Was it too late to call him? I glanced over at the clock radio on Tilly's shiny wooden dresser. It was 2 a.m., definitely out of the question. But the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to hear his voice. Then suddenly I realized that the time back home was six hours earlier. I sat up with one quick jerk. As the bed creaked from the sudden movement, Tilly made a moaning sound and turned to face the other way, resuming her wheezing once again. 
I slipped quietly out from under the sheets and tiptoed into the main room. The moon was full, and its light filled the room with a bluish glow. I grabbed the phone from its cradle and went out onto the tiny balcony to dial home. I attempted to make a collect call and found myself in conversation with a male operator who spoke broken English while telling me that I had a beautiful name and that he loved my Canadian accent. I couldn't help but laugh to myself, thinking that this definitely would not happen at home. After finally being connected, I waited anxiously while the phone rang and rang until the answering machine came on. I hung up knowing the machine wouldn't accept a collect call. I felt almost relieved that no one answered as I was sure the flirtatious operator would be listening in. I decided to try Harry at my parents' place. I dialed direct this time and avoided the whole operator assistance thing, as amusing as it was. This attempt failed as well as I was greeted by another answering machine message. I wondered what they were all doing. It was Friday night. Perhaps they had all gone out to dinner, maybe to the bistro or to Bev's house. I was starting to feel homesick. If only I could talk to Harry for just a few minutes. When I pressed the red button on the handset to end the call, I considered calling Les. But what what if he was out too? I didn't know if I could take three disappointments in a row. But at that point, I was fully awake and becoming more anxious to talk to him, even if just for a few moments. Then I started to think about our goodbye kiss, and I knew that I had to at least try. I dialed again. As I listened to each ring, I could feel the queasy, nervous feeling in my stomach grow. After the fourth ring, I was just about to hang up when Les's voice came through the receiver. Hello? The supple sound of his voice made my heart skip the tiniest beat. I held my breath without responding. Angel? How did you know it was me? I cried. I was hoping it was you. I could sense a smile on his lips. What are you doing? Well, I just got in, actually. I was just about to step into the shower when I heard the phone. I began to envision him in a towel, (laughs) picturing his well-defined arms and his bare chest. Then I thought of his face and those sparkling green eyes. Cutting my little diversion short, he asked, Are you still there? I started to laugh, but it was such a nervous laugh that I had the feeling he knew exactly what I had been thinking. I caught a slight chuckle, chuckle from his end. Are you having a nice time? Yes, it's been a lot of fun. It's absolutely beautiful here. And how's your sister? Well, Tilly is Tilly. She's great. She's nothing like me. Really? I could tell that I had aroused his curiosity. Yep, she's just a little crazy, but in a fun sort of way. And she's... I paused, searching for the words that would best describe Tilly's carefree, no-nonsense way of looking at life. Not waiting for me to finish, she said, and how is she so different from you? You, you're a little crazy in a fun sort of way. Falling down and being a klutz doesn't count, I answered, thinking about my embarrassing fall on the curb. Oh, I wasn't referring to that, he explained. I know there is another side of you that is not so conservative. And what do you mean by that? Suddenly I could feel my cheeks start to burn. Is he referring to our one night of passionate teenage sex? I couldn't believe he could make me blush over the phone and from so far away. I think there's more to you than meets the eye. I was oddly flattered by his reference to my wilder, more sensual side, the one that I kept hidden for fear that I would not be able to control myself. When I didn't answer, Les laughed softly. Do you miss me yet? A little, I answered flippantly, gaining control of myself once again. Well, if it's just a little, then maybe by the time you come home, it'll be a lot. He tried to sound like he wasn't disappointed. I knew that my hesitation about sharing my feelings must have felt like a slap in the face. Maybe, I answered. Can I pick you up at the airport? I'll be late. I was just going to take a cab. 
Oh, he answered, and after a moment's pause, he said suddenly, Are you ever going to let me do anything for you, Angel O'Leary? Now I knew he was offended. I didn't really know how to respond, so I asked, Like what? Like anything. Well, gee, I don't know. <laughs> then for some reason I came out with, You can help me organize my closet sometime. I didn't know why I thought about my closet at that moment. It had been a project that had been on my mind for a while now. I just didn't know where to start. And so when this wonderful man who was telling me he missed me asked me what he could do for me, all I could think of was my stupid closet. There was a pronounced silence, and just as I started to wonder if he had hung up on me, he let out a hearty laugh. You want help with your closet? He laughed again. Well, my dear, you got it. I'll tell you what. I'll build you a whole new closet. How's that? He was still laughing. I joined him, and the wall behind, which I had hidden my true feelings for him, had finally come down. I do miss you less. I admitted freely this time, and I can't wait for you to build me a new closet. And that is the end of chapter 23. A couple of things I wanted to let you know about. So the part where she talks about the operator... That's actually a true story <laughs> that actually happened to me when I was in Italy. I think I mentioned this in another chat, another episode, but yes, I had um, arrived in Italy. This was in my twenties when I was studying in France and over the Christmas holidays, we had gone to Italy by train and all my money was stolen mm-hmm. and on the train by a little old lady, <laughs> a nonna probably. And um, yeah, so I had to call home and I had to, anyway, I had to call collect and this operator was literally would not put me through he kept asking me my name like you know oh you have a beautiful like it was exactly as I described it so just a little tidbit of information there it's always interesting to hear where people get their ideas for their writing (laughs) because Pam was saying that earlier she's like when I was reading it she was thinking wonder where she got the idea for this and yeah. we've taught so much of that in writing and I think I actually found myself getting distracted from the actual book at times thinking about you oh, I don't yes. think I've actually known an author so well that I've read their work oh okay that I was like oh <laughs> yeah you know what I wonder what how different it would be reading it if you didn't know me Yes, mm-hmm. because people that have read it have said, oh, I could totally see when she fell, like clutziness and how, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> so like they said, I could, I was just pictured Anita. So I wondered what it would be like if somebody read it without knowing me. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody that's been on has read, that's read it, knows me fairly, like there's maybe a few people that don't know me as well as you probably do or other friends, right? Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I like no, that that's personal connection. Though. It is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. especially when you bring it up because we discussed that. On... Yeah. And you know what else I, I realized as I was reading it was the use of the word crazy. I said, oh, you're a little crazy. And I know we say that all the time, but I almost feel like now we have to be careful when we say that word, you know, because it's kind of taken on a very negative connotation. Like we're actually, you know, with people that actually do suffer with mental, mental health, health issues yeah. it's it's almost like an insult you know like it's yeah really not so you know it's it's interesting because you or think does about, that word have the mental health impact yes. anymore i don't i think it's they've separated those two I have crazy they? yeah because to me crazy is more fun like and but, whereas mental health issues are mental health issues yeah i think I, it depends I, in the context that you're saying sure. like some yes. people will say like, oh my God, that person's crazy, meaning they yes. actually have mental, mental health, health issues. And in that okay. case, it's definitely, inappropriate. it's inappropriate, right? Mm-hmm. But 
You know, I always wonder about using that word. And, and of course, I wrote this years ago, too. So I don't know that I, if I wrote it today, I would use that word. Just a, yeah, another different little, lens today. Yeah, that see different for, lens. For sure. And, exactly our, and the vocabulary has evolved. So yes. many words have changed oh meaning. And, you know, when you read things now, you're, you know, it is different. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we move on? All right. Sounds <laughs> okay. good. Chapter 24. All right. Chapter 24. Who's reading this one? I think That's Pam's me, reading Pam 24, maybe 25 too. Yeah. All right. Here we go. That's pronounced Ferentillo, which Ferentilo. is a little town. Okay. The following day, Tilly had a wonderful surprise for me. After borrowing Giovanni's car, we set off for Fonantillo. Oh, did I say it right? Yeah. Okay. Fetillo. Yeah. <laughs> a small town about an hour and a half's drive from Orvieto. Orvieto. Let me do that sentence again. A small town about a half an hour's drive from Orvieto. Tilly wouldn't let me tell her where we were going until we were almost there. But I had an inkling that Fertillo would... Fertillo. <laughs> I'm going to do this the whole way through. Good thing you don't mind editing. <laughs> Say it again. Fertillo. Fertillo? Yeah, that's it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Tilly wouldn't tell me where we were going until we were almost there, but I had an inkling that Fadentino wouldn't have to be on the agenda at some point, considering it was our mother's birthplace. Though it resembled the town where Tilly lived, the stone walls that surrounded it were much less intact. The houses and churches with their colorful gardens and old stone exteriors crawled up the mountainside as if they were reaching for the sky. Though we could have driven right into town, Tilly left the car on the roadside beside an old farmhouse just outside the village. As we got out of the car, we both stopped to take in the breathtaking scenes before us. See there? Tilly pointed at the old white structures resting high against the St. Angelo and Gibeo Mountains. I nodded. What are those? They look like monasteries. Nope, she corrected me. Those are castles. While I took out my camera and took a shot of the panoramic view, Tilly had already started to walk along the road. Hey, where are you going? I called out after her, wondering if she was going to leave me there. Come on, Angie, she shouted back, sounding almost impatient. I want to show you something. I followed her and took in the surrounding fields and rolling hills, which seemed to go on forever. The fragrant aroma of flowers was overpowered by the smell of onions that blew in the blew in off the fields that blew in off the fields when i caught up to tilly she was staring serenely at the small farmhouse it was partially blocked by the trees that lined a narrow drive she linked her arm through mine and led me up the drive toward the house what is it i asked suspecting that the house held some meaning for her this is where mum was born she said with a sense of pride We'd reached a little patio that led to an arched entranceway. A wooden door that was stained dark chestnut color bore the marks of many a passage made through by its wide frame. It made the whole house seem like a timeless treasure and had remained untouched by any trace of modern architecture. I didn't say anything. I just took it all in. I imagined my mother as a young child running through the field, laughing and playing, her dark hair flying wildly in the breeze. Come on! Tilly grabbed my arm and dragged me, almost running, to the back of the house. 
There was another patio made of pink and red, red and white brick, and there were more trees, tall emerald cedars. They formed a fence along one side of the yard and then stopped abruptly where a little wooden shed stood. That's where the chickens are, Tilly said, noticing my inquisitive look when I caught it, sight of it. This is just amazing, Tilly. I was thrilled to see where our mother had been born and where she'd grown up. Who lives here now? I suddenly wondered as if we were intruding. Oh, this really nice couple lives here now. They're maybe in their late fifties. Their youngest son just got married last year and moved to Torini, so it's just the two of them. That's why they love when I come to visit. And they're here now? No, I don't think so, she said. Usually they have all the shutters open, the music playing when they're here. Can we go inside? I suddenly wanted to see everything in the house. I was very curious about where my mother had spent her childhood. I wanted to see where she had slept in the fireplace where the family had gathered to roast chestnuts and tell stories. Mum had told many a tale about her life in that house. Though she hadn't been born until 1950, she had recalled how her parents and older sisters had taken cover under the big wooden table in the kitchen during the Allied raids in World War II. Here was a piece of history, Mum's history, ours, and Harry's too. Just before I started to become overwhelmed with those sentimental feelings, Tilly said, We can't go in, but it doesn't matter because the house has changed so much inside that even Mum wouldn't recognize it. How many times have you been here? I asked her, realizing that she seemed to know everything about it and its latest inhabitants. Oh, just a few, she said, smiling at me with her Tilly smile. We sat for a while on the little wooden bench that overlooked the garden, and the fresh smell of flowers and vegetables filled the air. It was one of those poignant moments that paints a picture in your memory so that later on, when the scene flashes through your mind again, it feels and smells and looks just as real and tangible as the day you experienced it. It was a warm, sunny day. Later, as we roamed through the cobblestone streets, was anxious to learn more about this exquisite little town in the valley. Tilly had already visited several times and knew a lot already about its historical landmarks and some personal ones too. We walked past the kindergarten school that Mum had attended and the bridge where our grandfather had hidden over 60 years ago when the first German tanks of Hitler's army rolled menacingly toward the old town. We stopped for lunch at a very busy <laughs> Trattoria. Trattoria. I didn't realize I needed to practice my Italian. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we stopped for lunch at a very busy Trattoria and tried ravioli alla nudo, and naked ravioli, for the first time. It was sort of like a cheesy filling in ravioli without the pasta. Just the cheese and sauce baked together. It was bellissimo, to quote Tilly, who raved about it when our server had stopped by our table for the tenth time. Following our lunch date, we visited St. Stefano, a cathedral that dated back to the 15th century. Its crypt was even more ancient, dating back to the 4th century. Tilly filled me in on these historical details as I gazed at the bold arches and faded fiascos of 
frescoes <laughs> and faded frescoes of the old church. The most amazing part of the day was when we were heading back to the car and a group of young guys began to follow us, calling us American and Bella while they goofed around to get our attention. It was like listening to a bunch of younger, skinnier Giovannis. It had been such a busy and wondrous day that I hadn't thought about the previous night's promise I'd made to myself. It was only when we were driving through the glorious fields of Umbria that I decided to talk to Tilly about Stephen and ruin a completely perfect day. Oh. Chapter 25, The Blowout. <laughs> so, you think I'm being careless? Tilly repeated my words, less than impressed with my description of how she was handling her love life. This coming from someone who won't tell her kid and her boyfriend that they have something really important in common? Her rebuttal stung. I realized too late that I had started something that would involve some unpleasantries before it was over. I'm not saying you don't care, Tilly. I'm just saying you need to start thinking about where this is all going with Giovanni. I mean, it's so obvious you don't love him. Oh, I'm sorry, am I supposed to? I could sense anger stewing just below the surface. No, I answered, but I wasn't sure how to convince her to give Stefan a chance without pissing her off even more. Mm -hmm. But what? Well, why are you wasting your time? Do you have any idea how much Stefan adores you? She didn't answer and kept looking straight ahead. The sun was just setting to the left of us, and there were brilliant hues of pink, orange, and red that streaked across the sky, its fiery colors reflecting the mood in the car. And I know you like him too. So when did you suddenly become an expert on love and relationships? Mm -hmm. She lifted one eyebrow and gave me a look of disapproval. I'm not trying to. Yes, you are, she said curtly. No, I'm not, Tilly. I just think you need to tell him. Tell him what? Don't you think you should tell Stefan how you feel about him and stop messing around with Giovanni? You're being totally unfair to both of them, you know. As I spoke, I could see the muscles in her jaw tense up, and she made that face, the one that she always made, just before she was going to explode, I suddenly felt scared. Tilly slammed on the brakes and we both lurched forward. She was clasping the steering wheel and I could see the whites of her knuckles. Not a good sign. At that moment, I honestly thought she was going to throw me out and drive away. Unfair? You think I'm being unfair? You, Angel, of all the people, are telling me to be honest with the men in my life. When you... Her voice sounded reproachful. You don't even have the guts to tell your own flesh and butt blood who his father is. I'm no coward. You're the coward. She turned her body to face me. And do you know what else I think? She did not wait for me to answer. I think you should have told the guy 15 years ago when he got you pregnant. Then maybe we would all have been better off. Her words pierced through me and I felt my own blood begin to boil. And what does that mean? 
you would have been better off? I was glaring at her, my eyes ablaze. Do you have any idea of the sacrifices we have had to make because of you? Are we going to start dredging up this whole moving away from your friends thing again after all these years? I felt so hurt. My hands began to shake. I'm not talking about moving away. She started to shake her head. You really don't have a clue, do you? I could not answer. All I could do was stare at her face, her loving, angry face. Do you know, for instance, that Bev... She stopped suddenly and pursed her lips. Forget it. Just forget it. She turned away from me and put her hand on the gear shift and pulled the car back onto the road. No, wait a minute, I squealed. Tell me, what about Bev? She bent her head over the steering wheel and then raised it. Turning to me, she looked at me and then straight ahead, her eyes shifting, then squeezing shut as if she were trying to block everything out of her mind. It was easy to see that she was deciding whether to shatter me or save me from the whole miserable truth. But Pandora's box had been opened, and it was time for the truth about my past, the truth through my sister's eyes. Did you have any idea, she began, struggling to control her voice, that when you got pregnant, Beth had been accepted to go away to a very prestigious cooking school in the States? She paused a moment to search my eyes. I looked at her, stupefied. I knew that Bev had always wanted to be a famous chef. It was her dream. I never stopped to question why she hadn't gone to cooking school and worked instead straight out of high school. I'd assumed that she'd decided to learn the restaurant business in Toronto. And do you know why she didn't go? Tilly continued, her voice now steady. I didn't answer. I was dreading what was she was going to say next. She didn't go, Tilly continued, because Mum and Dad couldn't afford it. And do you know why they couldn't afford it? I knew she did not want me to say anything in response. They couldn't afford it because Mum quit her job, remember? So she could take care of your baby. I couldn't hear another word. I had to get out of the car. When I placed my hand on the door handle, Tilly grabbed my arm to stop me. Oh, no, you don't. You're going to listen to what I have to say. Tilly, please stop. I'm sorry. You should be sorry. Do you know what it's like for us? From the moment you got pregnant, it felt like... She was biting her bottom lip now, and her nostrils flared. I braced myself for what came next. I felt like I lost my mom. My mouth was wide open now. I felt myself losing my breath as the tears burst forth in a blast of guilt and remorse. But Tilly did not let up. Mom was busy too, worrying about you when you got pregnant and then fussing over Harry after he was born. Do you know how many times she forgot to pick me up from practices? Even Maddie had to stop playing hockey. Do you remember that? Matt wanted to quit. He said he wanted to quit, I protested between sobs. Did he? You're wrong, I said. I turned away from her and looked out the window, tears still streaming down my face. The sky was darker now and looked dismal, the dark clouds now masking the beautiful colors of dusk. Why are you telling me this now? 
Tilly didn't answer right away. She was far from sympathetic as she jerked the car back into drive and peeled down the road. We drove in silence for the next few minutes before she said, I've been doing a little bit of thinking of my own about you and about your situation, which, let's face it, it is far more pressing than the little drama I have going on over here. Her eyes suddenly relaxed and she looked away from me and out the window at the changing sky. Then she breathed a deep sigh and I couldn't tell if, hidden in it, there was regret at having said too much. Listen, Angie, I love Harry. I think of him as my own, and I never thought for one second that you should not have had him. But you need to stop messing around. You, not me. She hesitated for a moment and then continued, her voice softer now. I'm telling you all of this now because after all the things we did to support you, after what our, fam our whole family gave up, it's your turn to give up something. Give up what? I asked, wiping my eyes with my sleeve. I wasn't exactly sure what she was getting at. She turned her head to look at me and said, Your pride. Your goddamn pride. Ooh. Dramatic. Yeah. That was a very, very feisty <laughs> chapter. It's kind of a pivotal change in yeah. the story, is it? Am I right? I have yeah. no idea going yeah. forward, but it feels like a pivotal change. It's almost as if Tilly's been holding back mm -hmm. this ounce of resentment. And now that, and I think it was sort of, it would have just gone on that way. But now that Angel is kind of giving it to her, mm -hmm. he's she, like, she calls her, hit the wall. Yeah. I like the way you worded it, that it's a sister, oh, that it was coming from the sister's truth. Yes. I like that line. Yeah. You know, because so many times we all have our version of an event. Or but, our child, especially in our childhood. Yes. Right? But you said it was the sister's truth. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting line. Mm -hmm. And I think it's true, though, families that, you know, talk about being all together, all families have got their hidden stories and their hidden secrets yes. that nobody really knows about. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. They put on that united front, but behind the doors, there's... Oh, yeah. A whole different element. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're a close family and they also they all support each other. But I think, you know, the fact that Angel now has this opportunity and that she's like hesitating and dragging it out, you know, is it's kind of like enough's enough now. Right. Yeah. So um, it's I, interesting how it's been said that she needs to give up her pride. You know, it. you know. I wonder if she sees that as pride. Yeah. Very good. Very good observation. Because to Angel, it's like, I it's think she my sees story. it more as fear. And my story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. your story. You don't need to know. Yeah. And her sister sees it as pride. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what comes in the next chapter. Yeah. Whether she sees it as pride or she's very angry about that line. Next time you need to give me Italian lessons before we begin, though. <laughs> no, I love it. I love that you're trying to pronounce it and we have to practice a little bit. No, no, no. It's all good. Um, I just wanted to mention, too, that um, I chose that town because that is actually not where my mother wasn't Italian. My dad was Italian. Right. That's where he's from. Okay. So I use that in the book. 
and you've been there so you've got yes. you've got the you described yes. so you, it very well he paints you a picture well, you paint the, a very the house strong itself picture itself isn't exactly like in the country like they were actually in the town but right you know i i just wanted to use that town as the backdrop because i wanted to include a little bit about my family no. in it, right which i do throughout mm -hmm. and i talked about in a different chapter um, or in a different episode, how the family dynamics are very similar to my family. Right. So this is why this book is so very dear to me, because characters are based on people I know and family members. I know sure. friends and family members. And a lot of it is me. Like, it's a big part of me. So mm -hmm. it was a very special first book. So we don't ask who Tilly is in your life? Tilly's a friend. She's <laughs> actually a friend of mine. Yep. Uh, that was based on her character. Her mm -hmm. character was based on a friend, uh, Kareem. Kareem knows this. Okay. <laughs> um, Moira was based on a friend, Anne, who was in the first episode. Right. Um, Anne was a special ed teacher. Moira is a, spe was a, is a special ed teacher. Um, and it's based on our relationship, a lot of it. And um, the family are based, uh, the oldest sister, Bev, is based on my oldest sister, Lisa. And uh, the brother's based on my brother, Vince. <laughs> yeah. So interesting. A lot of uh, parallels that uh -huh. have been drawn here. Uh -huh. So oh, we have one more chapter. We do. And Jean's going to read this one. So maybe I'll move this mic a little bit closer as well. I'm hoping not to run into the Italian. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you might you have to come really close. All right. Jean, there you go. Chapter 26 Tourist Therapy. The rest of the ride back to Tilly's apartment was torturous. We didn't say a word to each other for the remainder of the trip. Tilly was back on the couch that night. I knew that nothing I could say could erase my apparent oblivion to my family's sacrifices concerning me and my son. It was another restless night for me. My heart seemed to be swallowed up in one big black hole. It sunk deeper and deeper into that hole as the hours crept on. I was utterly devastated. How could I have been so selfish, so blind? I had thought my plan to keep Harry's father to secret was the right thing to do. But by saving less from the ordeal, by raising a child, I had placed the burden on my family instead. I hadn't thought about it in those terms before. For the most part, no one seemed to complain about having a baby around. I never really stopped to consider how it had truly affected my brother and sisters, or my mother who had carried for Harry every day while I was finishing high school. And it was my mother and father who'd watched over him while I worked or took courses at night to get my degree. How it affected their relationship, their marriage. I was too busy feeling sorry for myself to think about how everybody else was coping. I suddenly felt so ashamed. The tears started their regular drill again as I lay there in the dark staring at the high white ceilings of Tilly's stylish bedroom. I began to think about Tilly and how she had been there for me every step of the way. Tilly is the one that sung lullabies to Harry in the middle of the night, who played second mother to Harry so often, soothing him when he'd fallen down or didn't get his way. She was right. I had no business telling her what to do. She always had known what to do. Tilly did the right thing. I imagined that she knew exactly what she was doing in with regards to Giovanni and Stefan. Maybe she had a master plan, and it was all perfect. And even if she didn't, even if she were making a horrible mistake, 
Wasn't she allowed to screw up her own life? God knows I've certainly done my share of that. Yet there I was, scolding my older sister for not doing what I thought was the right thing for her. How foolish she must have thought I was. She had called me a coward, and she had blamed it, to some degree, on my pride. I couldn't be mad at her, though. Her words were strong and hurtful, but I knew they were true. I was humbled. It was my move next on the big chessboard of life. The time for caution had come to an end. Tilly had made me realize that. And so, what would I do next, now that I was so much wiser? First on the list was to apologize to Tilly. After that, swallowing that little bit of pride, I had to prepare myself to do so again once I arrived back on Canadian soil. When I woke up the next morning, Tilly was gone. She left a brief note on a little table in the kitchen. Angel, gone to work. I might be late, so don't wait up tonight. Till. I was disappointed that I wouldn't be able to set things straight with her right away, though I had known before coming to Italy that she wouldn't take every day off of work to be my tour guide. I had a sneaking suspicion that today she took time away from me expressly. I decided that I would do a little exploring of Orvieto on my own, and then go. F and then for dinner I would fix Tilly a wonderful meal, no matter what time she was arriving home. Maybe by then she would be in a forgiving mood. It was just a short walk to catch the bus that would take me to cross town to one of the city's medieval sections. The bus driver and several friendly passengers did their best to give me directions using their hands as much as their words. My first stop was the Terre de Moro, an ancient tower in the center of the old town that loomed over pink and brown rooftops of the surrounding buildings. At the suggestion of one of my bus friends, when I arrived at the entrance, I purchased a Carta Una de Orvieto? Carta Unica de Orvieto. <laughs> which is a round ticket for four of the more popular sites in the area. I decided to make the climb up the 24-meter tower on foot. When I reached, finally reached the top, I realized I was out of shape as I couldn't stop wheezing for a full five minutes. The rooftop was apparently the highest point in the city and overlooked the Piazza del Popolo on its western side. Beyond the Melpel of buildings, both large and small, I could see most of the valley, which dipped sharply from a high rocky wall and stretched across the landscape towards the distant highlands. A smattering of small farmhouses dotted the well-tilled fields of green and rustic brown. It was exhilarating to look over the city and to see far across the Umbrian countryside from the tiny, unassuming vantage point of the old bell tower. I stood there for some time feeling tremendously fortunate, yet melancholy, and I didn't want to leave. I could have stayed, stared for hours at the beautiful canvas that unfolded before me, but I knew there was much more to see, and the rooftop had eventually become a little crowded. After my descent down the tower, a much less exhausting ordeal, I made my way over to the famous Duomo, the huge cathedral. Did I say that right? I think it's Duomo. Duomo. Yeah the huge cathedral that Tilly and I had seen on the first day. I didn't go in this time, just meandered through the large piazza surrounding the great cathedral. 
I joined a small group of tourists who were heading below the city for a one-hour tour of the underground tunnels. The labyrinth of intricate passageways linked grottos and other hidden caves dating back 2,000 years. Though there had been always rumors of the city below the city, it was only rediscovered in the late 1970s following a large tremor that rocked the city. As a result, some of the elevated holes leading into subterranean maze had become exposed. It took years to dig out the debris and rock from the tunnels so that the archaeologists and researchers and finally the general public could wander safely through them, only to be awed by their number and history. It felt somewhat eerie walking through the damp, cool passageways that were bereft of light and color. It was a far cry from the liberating feeling that swept over me earlier as I gazed over the wide expanse of farmland. An hour later, I found myself breathing in the fresh open air again as I sat on a warm patch of grass in the garden in the park that greeted us at the end of the tour. After the picnic for one, which involved a packed prosciutto sandwich and a limonata, Limonata. Limonata yeah. that I stole from Tilly's refrigerator that morning. I headed east on Corso Cavo. Cavour? Cavour. Cavour. I think, yeah. Corso Cavour. I stopped often along the busy street to take a gander at the items on display through the windows of quaint shops. I enjoyed listening to snippets of conversations between some of the store owners and their customers who seemed to need know each other. Surprisingly, I was able to decipher many of their words as they chattered away and I didn't feel awkward about eavesdropping. Everyone seemed to talk as if they didn't mind that anyone could listen on their conversations. I went into one museum before calling it a day. I couldn't recall the name of it five minutes after I left, a sure sign that fatigue was beginning to set in. I knew it was time to head back to Tilly's apartment. Encountering numerous restaurants on my trek home, I started to feel very hungry. I felt tempted to go in and order a huge plate of pasta, as I passed each one. One could easily fall victim to the tantalizing aromas that spilled out onto the streets. Suddenly I remembered I needed to get some food for the meal as I planned that I planned to prepare for Tilly. But the thought of cooking at that point didn't seem so appealing. My legs were tired and it started to ache from the hours of walking that day. To top it off, I had missed the customary siesta that many Italians enjoyed in the middle of the afternoon. But I thought, Tilly did say in her note that she would be home late. Perhaps I did have a little time for a little nap before I started cooking. I knew I was close to the apartment when I reached Via Stefano Porcari. Porcari. Tilly's place was just past that. As I turned left onto the street, I looked for the little store she'd pointed out the day before when she was going about... Uh, going on about the freshest homemade pasta in Orvieto. I knew she was well stocked for wine, so I paid for a few items I needed with help from regular customers who spoke a few words of English. Exhausted, I tromped down the street carrying my knapsack and a brown paper shopping bag. As I made the last few steps up into the big green door of Tilly's apartment building, I let out a huge sigh and awkwardly fumbled with the key that I tried to retrieve from the front pouch of my knapsack. While I balanced the bag with the food in one hand and tried to open the door with the other, a helpful hand and a familiar French accent came to my rescue. Ooh, <laughs> that makes me want to turn the page. <laughs> I want to know who it is. Well, who is French? I know. <laughs> Stéphane is yep. French. 
Yeah. So hmm. starts to get juicy. That starts <laughs> to. Uh... I love the way though she's so reflective at the beginning, and I think that's something especially as women, we often do when we've had a serious conversation. Yeah. When you have that quiet time, especially in the dark, you replay that conversation. But it also shows Angel's character there because she doesn't, isn't angry about it. She isn't, you know, wish I'd said this, wish I said that. Instead, she's more reflective and recognizing, you know, I need to take my rosy colored glasses off and I need to see this for what it is. And I think that shows a lot about the character that you're creating in, in her fair. Yeah. Because there are moments where you think like she's so underconfident and so like she's got flaws for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. And perhaps being a little bit, well, I mean, she was young too. Right. So like, when you are young, you're already self-centered. Like it's just by nature that you're self-centered. So, but the fact that she hadn't really, and did she even have time to reflect on it when she became an adult? So it was, or they hadn't of, really told her, it, right. you know, like Matt they said tell her. that he quit hockey, you know, for another reason he wanted to, he didn't say he quit hockey because his parents could no longer afford, or who knows if it was that money, but definitely had difficulty picking him up and, mm -hmm. It's um, a big commitment when you play hockey. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe they hid it all from her. You know, maybe yeah. she wasn't that naive. They definitely seem like they did not let her know yeah. what they had given up for yeah. her. And she didn't really ask either. She was busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you think of what she, you know, she went to high school. She finished high school. She obviously went to do a degree and then went on to be a vet. That's a lot of schooling. It is a lot of schooling. Um, and, and she obviously worked hard because you don't get into vet school without no, working hard. No. And I think in one of the chapters it said she kind of wanted to prove it herself. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I can't remember. Was that earlier on? Did you remember reading that? That she kind of felt she had to kind of. Yeah. Because when at that beginning when you're yeah. painting yeah. what mm -hmm. her personality is like. Yeah. She kind of felt that she had to do it. She had to prove herself. That yeah. She wouldn't let this. This. Stop her dreams. Reduce you know? her life. Yeah. But she couldn't have done it if she didn't have this family, right? No, especially, you know, her mom her quit mother, her job. Her mother, so yeah, her mother, her mother quit raised her, job. her child mostly when she, I mean, you know, how much time would she have had really? Going to high school, doing yeah. night school and working. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of time left. Yeah. So anyway, that's, mm -hmm. any other comments, critiques? Well, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> you've kind of, you know, the next chapter seems to be another I like the way you left that chapter you hanging. You left your chapter very, very hanging. Yeah, I like to leave them hanging a little bit. Yeah, it makes yeah, it right? interesting. Yeah. So it, you're like, I want to turn the page. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're watching one of these Netflix things. <laughs> like, they kind of leave you hanging after each episode. Like, yeah. Oh, that Whoa. always annoys me. Right? And then you, <laughs> then you, the you can one. either, like, stop for it. To, usually it automatically goes to the mm -hmm. next episode. Mm -hmm. And you're like, should we let it go? I want to see what happens. And you let it go. And sometimes you sit there and you're on a binge. You're watching four or five episodes because you want to see what happens. Like one more, one more, one, one yeah. more. Oh, so, yeah. so that's um, that's something that I definitely... And you know, I have to say, it came kind of... The way I ended, ended a lot of these, most of the chapters, it actually was a great, like a natural sort of, yeah, I'll end it there. You know, it kind of came, it wasn't planned. Right. It came to me as I was writing it, you know? So, yeah. Cool. Well, it's definitely a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you're thinking, hmm, 
Now what's going to happen? Yes. Stefan's back. Stefan's mm-hmm. there for his, Why is he there? Why is he there? <laughs> yeah. And is there something with Angel and Stefan? It's making me start mm-hmm. to wonder. You never know. Mm-hmm. I know. Because she obviously saw quality in him. Yeah. Even though she was pegging him for her sister. Yeah. She sees something in him. Yes. Yes. Um, there's, surpri- there's some surprises in this book. Well, there. It isn't just all like, oh, you know. She's definitely going to end up with less. Like you get, it's definitely not Well, even just going expected. back to the shopping cart piece, <laughs> you know, he showed in her mind flaws yes. very early. Yeah. And she has dismissed them yes. at this point. Yes. But will they come back? Yeah. Is my thought. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> See, that, another cliffhanger. She's very good at it. <laughs> I think there's more to that storyline that, to be to be continued mm-hmm. okay is my thoughts well i hope you guys continue reading and we'll find out <laughs> i'll have to find out it's very true very true anyway i think we'll leave it there um i want to thank you so much for coming and reading and it's been fun talking been fun. about my now i want to know <laughs> yeah what did you say now i want to read on i hope you do because I I, it, there's some like i said there's uh, some unexpected things that happen and it gets really um I think if you're talking about you want to find out what happens next, you're definitely going to get, it gets more intense that way. Mm-hmm. So enjoy. Okay, All right. Well, and thank you for having us. I'm and Jean for well, thank you for having us. doing this with me today. Really, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's been really fun. It's, it's great. Been fun. It's been Love good, you guys. good time. Okay. Take All right. care. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank you so much fans and, uh, and listeners for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed the chapters and I really hope you're enjoying Italy through Angel's eyes and Tilly's eyes. So hopefully you'll join us for the next episode. We'll catch you later.